we have to be extremely careful because one instance of this intelligence knows a lot more than any of us will ever learn in our lifetimes, can think much faster than us, is capable of increasingly more things over time. And if we aren't careful, like life is extremely fragile and there's a very small range of conditions under which we exist. If we break any one of those conditions by accident, we may not be able to reverse it. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. Vercel is the platform for front-end developers, providing the speed and reliability innovators need to create at the moment of inspiration. Founded by the creators of Next.js, Vercel has zero configuration support for 35-plus front-end frameworks, including SvelteKit. We enable the world's largest brands like Under Armour, eBay, and Nintendo to iterate faster and create quality software. Try out Vercel today to experience the easiest way to use Svelte. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Svelte Radio. Today we have video. Amazing. I'm joined by the full crew. Full, full crew here. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, Brittany, Anthony, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Go out here and yeah. Hey, everyone. Today <laughs> we, we are going to talk about AI and what it means for, for developers like ourselves. Where are our jobs going? <laughs> but yeah, so so the person that's that probably knows most about this here is is Sean. You've you've been diving deep into the into the AI ML space as we heard last week. You quit your job and you're doing all things AI. What's what's that been like? How deep uh, yeah. in, in down the rabbit hole have you gone? Something I enjoyed about this podcast is that you can slowly trace the my descent into <laughs> managed <laughs> over time. <laughs> Sometime in August, I think we we're talking about stable diffusion. And then sometime in December, I was like, AI is the future. And then, and then I disappeared for a few months and now I'm back and I have, I, I'm jobless. So AI has taken my job and <laughs> I have moved to San Francisco <laughs> against my will because it is a terrible city, but it has the best AI events and network. So yeah, um, have definitely gone down the rabbit hole. And happy to answer anything and everything. Um, I have started, I have been cheating on this Svelte Radio podcast by starting a different <laughs> podcast <laughs> that is... That you uh, should all go subscribe to? Yeah, Layton.space. I'm very proud of the domain name. And did, my, did so you, my, Was my, it actually free? No, it wasn't free. Um, I actually had it on a separate domain. And then the guy who wrote the book, the O'Reilly book on natural language processing, emailed me and said, do you want the in space for $500? And I said, yes. Wow. <laughs> I think he made a deal there, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I think he saw that like I was I was, was going to do something good with it. So I think he knew that it was like a sort of friendly handover. And anyone who was writing books about AI four years ago is, I'm sure, is doing fine financially. So <laughs> yeah. fair enough. Was it yes. just... Like you thought AI was the future, is that kind of what dove you down the rabbit hole or what started the AI drive for you? Okay, right. So there is a longer running thread. It is not just like I saw a thing on somewhere and then decided to pivot my whole life. I, when I was an options trader, a lot of, and this was when I was in London trading currency derivatives um, in Standard Chartered, I actually wrote my first NLP application, which was taking prices and quotes from my brokers in Bloomberg and then pasting them into a pricing machine and parsing those text fields. And it was just a, it was a simple syntax, parsing those text fields into option prices that I would then use to update my volatility surface. And there was a lot of, and I did it entirely through regex. It was a cursed, very, Ooh. very cursed regex <laughs> with no... Why? With no tests, because I had I never heard of a test at the time, because I wasn't a professional programmer. I was a trader that learned to code, right? And it was, it was, it was a lot of fun, but all my traders used it. All, like the entire uh, global team managing hundreds of millions of dollars. Wow, so, pretty cool. So I should have had a clue that NLP was going to be a thing, but I, I never saw it as more than that. I was just saying, oh, it's a simple text parsing, right? And then I think the other thing that 
has always been on the back of my mind is the progress in image generation. There's this very famous chart about the state of the art in image generation or face generation from year to year to year. And you can find one, I found one yesterday, from 2012 to 2022. So 10 years of image generation progress. You can see 12, 13, 14, like it's very fuzzy, not very good, not even recognizable as a human face. And then 2015, 16, 17, it starts to get good. And then that's how you start to get websites like this human or this person does not exist. And now, of course, generating photorealistic stuff is free, done locally on your machine or available through Midjourney for $8 a month. And so I think this is, I've always basically just regarded this as the Moore's law of our time. And there's a doubling effect or exponential growth effects. And yes, uh, yes, I'm late to it. Yes. Uh, you know, many of us are late to this, but because it, something like a Moore's law does tend to last for a few decades, you are still in the grand scheme of things, not that late. And so yeah. I, I'm just more interested in this. Yeah. So if we looked at the adoption as an S curve, we're probably very early, right? Still it depends what, what the scale you're looking at, right? Like as far as sure. Very early, meaning the rest of the world doesn't think it's important. That is very early to me. So we are past yeah. that stage now. Now it's extremely obvious to everybody. So now it's now we maybe still like kind of early. That, that that's that's where we're at. Right. It's where we're at that stage, by the way, where Nat Friedman, the former CEO of GitHub, basically calls this a capabilities overhang. Uh, there's been so much research done over the past five years especially with transformers that essentially has not been productized by builders by developers builders founders whatever you call it and that's why it's it's time to build there's there's shockingly few people trying to like do interesting things with ai even 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 now i think a lot of people might consider me a relatively fast mover and early adopter but it took me 6 months to say all right i'm quitting my job and there are a lot more people who, who are still waiting in the wings, like not sure if they want to commit, not sure if this is like a Web3 thing that will be gone next right. year. Yeah. And these are all reasonable concerns, and I can deal with each of them individually. But on this side of the spectrum, it looks like there's a ton of opportunity sitting around waiting for people to pick it up. The I was at a dinner yesterday, this is a, kind of like an AI founders dinner, and with people from OpenAI, DeepMind, Google, Facebook, the two co-founders of Dropbox, uh, the three co-founders of Notion. And there were so many ideas that were being tossed around that just nobody was working on. And we were like, all of us were like, yeah, that's going to be very important. <laughs> it was just like each of us already had a thing. So we're like, we weren't just, we were just not going to work on them. But I, I would love yeah. to, to, to encourage more people to explore. I'll offer one more thing, which is something I've talked about in a previous episode, but I will bring it up here just so that everybody has context, which is I think that you should view this as an extension of regular programming. So the kind of programming that we do, which is regular sort of if-then-else programming, right? Like you have a spec from a product manager, and then you translate that spec into code, right? Which is a sort of very well-defined thing. A lot of people, a lot of software engineers view that as their job. Right, uh, you have a spec translate to code. You have a design translate that to code, and then that's your job. But I think if you think about things as an iterative cycle, which is you have a spec translate to code, and then you instrument with analytics, and a product manager looks at the analytics and then makes a decision again to change something, and then makes another spec and then translates that, and then you translate that to code. That is a cycle that is essentially learning more from data and and then eventually surfacing that in your code somehow. And the ultimate expression of that is going to be some form of multivariate process that is that is more like machine learning, right? I'll tell you, like, okay, so like, if you ever write an if statement, or if you have like branching logic, right, and it's it's conditional upon one variable, then you're like, okay, I need I need I need two variables, then I need three variables, then I need four variables. At some point, machine learning is essentially 175 billion variables. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Where you have run through an enormous amount of, of data, something like a few hundred terabytes. And 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 like that is that is an interesting, very interesting like foundational use case, a foundational building block for a new set of applications. Um and I kind of consider that to be a reasoning engine is is one of the terms that's kind of thrown around. It is fundamentally non-deterministic, so we have to figure out new patterns and design patterns to uh, and, and UX affordances to 
to wrangle it. But I think it's uh, enormously exciting. And I feel like software engineers should not be apprehensive. They should figure out how to use it to solve their problems. Do you know, you said it's a time for builders, Sean. I think the way that I know it's time for builders is if I go on the cell domains and try and type in AI dot, there is nothing left. There is not a single TLD other than the country specific ones that com dot AF or whatever that is free. So it's definitely a time for builders. I wonder how many of those are actually in use. No, that's a, that's a time for domain squatters for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the domain that I have, I have got and I will be building is small.ai and that costs a little bit of money. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in model distillation, which you can talk about later. I think it's in line with this thought philosophy, by the way. The, the, the current trend towards larger and larger models, longer and longer chain, bigger and bigger context is very much uh, reacty. If I if I'm going to make a hot take of uh, you know, <laughs> have a have a giant footprint, and um, I think there's 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 room for asphalt of react of AI. So when you're when you're talking about like these the the largeness of these things, like I, I is that when when you're training the AI, basically you you are people throwing more and more information into like the training sets. I I'm yeah. not sure how yeah. it works, but how like, much foundational knowledge do you, do you want to cover here? Ooh. Because I can explain it like I'm five. No, that's yeah. probably yeah. way, way <laughs> well, too like, much. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure all of you have read introductions and stuff. So I, I also don't know how to calibrate for what I should assume people know already. Yeah. Assume okay. you know nothing. I assume no knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine, fine, fine. So just to directly answer your question, it is not just for training, it is also, also for inferencing. So there's essentially a two stage process which is that there's an initial pre-trained phase, like GPT stands for generative pre-trained models. So the pre-training phase is a large, expensive one. And then the inferencing is when you take you freeze all the weights of the training and you're just making predictions based on your existing prompt. And so is that the, is... Sorry, just, just interject here. Is the So when you were talking about millions and billions of variables, those are basically, they result in the weights. Is that kind of... Yes, it works. weights and biases. And so these are all individual neurons, and, and together they're called weights and biases. Uh, and there's a startup by that exact same name that is yeah, doing extremely well that. because OpenAI uh, publicly endorses them. And the summation, there's a simple function you can call in PyTorch that gives you the summation of the total number of weights and biases, and that is the parameter count that everyone talks about. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. For a very accessible introduction, everyone should be aware that the, the best introduction right now is Andre Karpathy's Zero to Hero course on YouTube, where he builds it from scratch. Like Just start from a blank file in Python. Don't use any frameworks. Uh, build the whole thing from scratch. And he builds a very simple GPT generator of Shakespeare sonnets. And it's still not very good, but it gives you the the mental framework. And I, I really like that because you don't pull in anything else. You, you have to explain everything from, from a complete scratch. Okay. The other thing, and then uh, let me, just to finish out the uh, training versus inference, inference is comparatively cheap. And it is what you do when, for example, you download stable diffusion onto your laptop and you give it a prompt and you, and you run it on your machine. There's a, there's a fair amount of people also working on model optimization pruning, distillation, and that's the that's the field that I'm playing in. Okay, and then we'll, we'll talk let's talk about like the the rough like progression in terms of uh, history. The fascinating thing is that each domain, each modality in AI used to have different architectures. So you have you would have convolution nets for for images and then you would have RNNs and LSTMs. Doesn't matter. You can you can google these names but for text but they've essentially all, all all converged to using some kind of transformer in the last five years. And this is a fascinating phenomenon. And it's also why I actually wrote a post that it is not too late to pivot into AI because this recent transition into transformers for everything has essentially been the components era of AI, right? Like you now no longer need to catch up on the previous 15 years because they don't matter anymore because we now know that we have a better abstraction that we call the transformer that is much more scalable, is much more able to 
to generate and, and, and focus on things that we that we want out of it. And it has grown a lot. Um, so the, the the basic paper that everybody should be aware of is Attention is All You Need. It came out in 2017. And it was a, like a relatively low-key thing for a year, kind of like uh, React and maybe Svelte. Like when it launched, like not that much, not that much hype. Like people were just kind of like, it's one out of many papers. Uh, and then it took about a year to, to really pick up. And then Google really led the, the development of this with BERT, which is, I think, bidirectional encoding, representational transformers, or something like that. And these are still like relatively small in terms of the, the grand scheme of things, like a few hundred million parameters. There, were, there was a family of models that was all Sesame Street characters, which uh, I think uh, the parents will love. So BERT inspired Ernie and then Elmo. And <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was Grover, I think, or Grouch. And, and then Swedish obviously, chef. you know, these are all yeah, really, really fun. Oh, I would love it. Swedish chef, Swedish chef model. <laughs> so the Google Brain team loved Sesame Street. The the Deep Mind team loves animals. So they do like flamingo, chinchilla, gopher. There's the there's a whole model zoo of uh, really cute animals, and I think uh, people have to entertain themselves whenever they're staring at billions of numbers all day long. It's like <laughs> the uh, uh, like the these things that go into the U.S. Congress. They all have these super long names and then they end up becoming called something like the reduce yeah, Jedi or the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is definitely marketing. Okay, so and then OpenAI comes out with GPT. Another fun fact, the lead author of GPT is Alec Radford, three years out from his PhD. Not that much experience. Oh wow. That's that's pretty cool. And so this is why I'm saying like if you're willing to do the work like you don't have to have a PhD. You, I mean, obviously it helps, but like if you're doing, you're willing to do the equivalent work and you have good ideas, I, I still think it's a, it's an early enough field that you can relatively get to the, the 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 top of the field in a very short amount of time. Similar, so that that's OpenAI and Rad, Alec Radford. Another similar person that I've been tracking is another a countryman of mine, uh, Yi Tae from Singapore, graduated from NTU, a local university in Singapore, not a famous one. Three years later, he's publishing UL2, which is the top of the field model from Google. <laughs> like it, it, it is, it, there's so much opportunity. And my point is, I think that this kind of opportunity exists when a field is extremely early. You do not see this in medicine, physics, astronomy, math. You know, yeah, like because all of those disciplines have had their sort of foom periods. Foom is that, that exponential takeoff period. All those uh, disciplines had those had those had those periods uh, centuries ago, right? Like yeah. only Albert Einstein was was able to publish three papers in a row in 1905 that defines everything, you know, uh, everything. <laughs> but like you could not do that today because all the low hanging fruit has been picked up, and it's I, I think I think definitely we're in that that period for uh, for something like this this discipline. Okay, so and then so so let's just jump back and forth into like sort of history of models stuff. GPT-1 and 2 came out within a relatively short order of time. By the way, GPT-2 is runnable as a Python package. You can import GPT-2 and just generate oh, it. It's, it's cool. so ridiculously easy and funny. Yeah, the, the, the basic package that you should look at is uh, GPT-2 Simple from uh, Max Wolf, uh, Minimax here on Twitter. And then obviously uh, GPT-3 can, comes out and actually makes zero impact. They actually, <laughs> there was a little bit of um, kerfuffle around the, the safety of these models and OpenAI refused to release them publicly because like it's too dangerous for for your uh, benefit. And off, ultimately, they released it, and and everyone could easily tell between generated and non generated stuff. Yeah. So I think I think that's ultimately okay. And it took a it took a few years. Uh, it, it actually most people don't remember, but it was released in I think 2019, 2020, that time frame, and didn't really take off until last year. <laughs> right. Yeah. To, and, to me, and, looking in from from the outside, it it kind of feels like GPT three point five was like the inflection point, but then there's probably really. mid journey and stuff earlier. No, yeah, yeah, I would say that the inflection point was really stable diffusion, mm. which is an, uh, counterintuitive because stable diffusion is an uh, text to image model, and GPT is generated text, but. I think like stable diffusion got everyone inspired because it's open source running on your laptop and trained by a comparative outsider. Again, another outsider, uh, Imad Bostak, a former finance person like myself, but took four years to go from finance to AI. 
<laughs> it's not it's not too long, right? <laughs> I mean, he got he definitely got lucky, and there's definitely stuff he doesn't know. But also, like he he learned enough. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, I I, I think uh, people started hunting around because the stable diffusion went from zero to you know a billion dollars uh, extremely extremely quickly. Jasper AI, another another top startup, went from zero to eighty million dollars in revenue in eighteen months, uh, oh, which is absurd. Wow. I heard about uh, yesterday, there's a, there's, actually. Yeah, there's there's a lot of money in this. Uh, Mid Journey, which is a humble little Discord server of five million people, <laughs> is a team of twelve making fifty million dollars a year, right? Holy jeez! Bootstrapped, <laughs> no VC, because the yeah. the founder founded a previous VC company and he was like, nah, "I'm not doing that again." Yeah. So there's all these <laughs> interesting characters, and I think if you strike it rich, uh, you're sitting pretty. Yeah. I, it it kind of feels like you would you would think that this all would trend to zero at some point, like the revenues, like they're they're going to become better and better and better. Yes, and, um, this right? has been a the B two C options have been very very spiky, or, or yeah, there is significant churn. So uh, the best example of this is the Lenza AI team, which uh, used to do the face lens. Um, I think if you remember a few years ago, there was this trend of. Um, Uploading your face and then like seeing how it how it ages or de-ages or if you're if you're the opposite gender, all that yep. stuff. And so Lenza actually pivoted to a face generation app using stable stable diffusion. And there's this amazing revenue chart of them going from like kind of nothing to earning two million dollars a day on the Apple App Store. <laughs> a day. Um, a day. <laughs> and then and then fading after two months, back to yeah, nothing, right? Because it was an extreme fad. Like everyone was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna you know spend a few dollars and, and see what my my face looks like in AI." And that's for most people, that is the way that they get involved in AI, right? They're like, "I'll try out a new app," and, and so it's extremely fatty. I will say, like the the really good builders keep building and and find new features to offer their users so that they keep coming back. But otherwise. People will try things once and then they'll they'll, they'll leave, and um, I think that is the natural way of these things because uh, people, you know, just want to kick the tires. Another person to follow here is um, Levels IO, uh, Peter Levels on Twitter. That's the yeah, nomad. He, he had a similar, yeah. He, he was the Nomad List founder. He now so he started Nomad List, started a movement around remote work and a really dominant brand around all of that. And I think he was making something on the order of one to one and a half million a year based on that. Uh, by the way, he works by himself with, with a few contractors. He now makes more from his AI apps than than all the Nomad stuff. That's pretty pretty scary. That's crazy. <laughs> good, good for him though. Yeah, <laughs> but he's an extremely creative guy and yeah, very good yeah. hacker. And he also um, has a, he has an audience as well, right? It's yes, he, yes. I so, mean, it's, yes. it's it's not like it helps, of course. Yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 A lot of people are like, "Can you do it if you started over?" And and he's like, and all of us are just like, "Why would you?" Like, I worked very hard for this. <laughs> well, I think, I think also he was mentioning that um, you know people were saying that the interior AI, interior AI thing he did, they were saying yeah, or, you know, could you build it without this audience? And he and he basically countered it by saying yes, he could because he didn't advertise it. By the time it got to X amount of traffic, you know, he, he basically told a few friends and they did word of mouth. So yeah, this is the answer to that. Yes, he could. Oh well, yeah, there exactly. Like and and. This is only to prove to people who like you know need some inspiration and motivation. But I don't, I or any other people with an audience like don't owe anything to those people, right? Like I had to bootstrap myself the same way that anyone else did. Yeah, <laughs> and so course. yeah, I'm I'm, a, I'm somewhat defensive of, of this whole like, oh, your success doesn't count because you already had an audience previously. Like no, like yeah, that's, uh, I, I mean that's not that's not really what I meant. <laughs> this is what they had. Uh, came <laughs> I, off like. I didn't get my audience. No, 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 not at all. You guys are friends, obviously. I'm just I'm comparing <laughs> how, how it feels like, how it sounds like to us when like people say yeah. like, "Oh, you already started an audience. All your advice is completely irrelevant." No, I, I didn't get my audience of 2,500 spam bots and, and 500 real people on Twitter by you know without any effort. Took took a lot of work. That people <laughs> thinking I'm a footballer. Opinions. Yeah, you're <laughs> talking too. You're talking too much about like bike lanes in London. <laughs> exactly 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 that's 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 the 500 real ones it's probably about half of those actually <laughs> mm. all right yeah, sorry yeah. Uh, so so okay so so we okay so uh, maybe i'll cover one more thing which is yep. um 
people should you should be aware of the the main modalities that people are playing with. So we covered generative image, uh, generative text, generative images. There is also audio, which essentially is two directions, right? Like audio, audio to text, and audio to text is probably the more promising one, and that is um, OpenAI Whisper, which is a fantastic state of the art yep. model. And we use uh, we use model. that for transcriptions for the podcast. Yeah. And I'll talk, I'll talk about a few issues there. For text to audio, the leading one right now is Eleven Labs, which does voice synthesis. I haven't personally tried that. And, and that's, I, I think, a lot I of... I tried it. How do you like it? So I played a couple of clips for, for Brittany and, and Anthony. And it, it's, it's, it doesn't sound like me. It, mm. Like, you can hear that there's some, some inspiration of me in there, but it... What, what did you call Anthony, it, Anthony? It's it's it sounded oh, like it, it has your tone, but it's missing your accent. So there's no yeah. authenticity in your voice. Like it doesn't yeah. sound exactly like. But you. It, it does sound like a person. Yes. Right? It, yeah, it does. Like a it midwestern like U.S. person. Mid midwestern U.S. who's who's balls haven't dropped. Basically, yeah. It honestly sounds like <laughs> every, every podcast that I've listened to recently. <laughs> they all have that voice, and I don't know why. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Non. Non-regional, non-specific. Uh, Very much so. Sorry, and sorry, continue. Wonder, you, I was going to say it makes me wonder if, if they do that, but um, if they do use AI tools, who knows? Sorry. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, yeah, uh, well, I, I think it's just the state of the technology and obviously it will improve. Google actually has a project where it has it does match the voice tone and accent much closer. But this is a very, often phenom- a very common phenomenon with Google. They announce that they have something and then not release it. So you can't even try it out yourself. You just have to take them at their word that the results or samples that they produce are representative of the models that they've trained. And so Google, you know, there's this whole issue between the big war and a proxy battle between Microsoft versus Google via OpenAI. I think very much Google is on the back foot. And they've essentially been the Xerox Park of our era where they funded a bunch of research and then other people that they funded essentially have left and all started their own amazing companies. And Google is left with a declining revenues in search and a complete Yikes. chaos of a house. Yeah. <laughs> I think I do think that Sundar Pichai will if he there's nothing he can do. He will be fired in in a in a short amount of time. He has right. completely mismanaged the biggest revenue engine on earth <laughs> yeah they, they're and, pretty much just coasted kind of feels like yes yes there's a this is what it's a very common phenomenon right you know um fat times make weak men and the weak men make uh, hard times hard times make strong men so there's other modalities so we talked about images text and audio and then uh, i think code is a very interesting subset of text I can talk. I can talk about code a bit, but I want to f- figure out the f- f- uh, finish out the modalities. I definitely uh, track all of them. I do have a f- for those who are interested. I actually have a public GitHub repo where I track all this stuff. So if you go to AI notes on, uh, on my GitHub, you'll see all of this. So there's other modalities like text to video or something that a lot of people talk about. I'm completely uninterested in text to video because I think that it is so far away that it is just not useful. Yeah. Then there is uh, math text uh, solving mathematical equations and uh, and related problem with that is physics. Sam Altman's stated goal for what AGI is, is that it is able to independently discover new rules of math and physics, because then it has essentially gone from symbolic and probabilistic generation of text that is plausible sounding to actually true things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can actually prove, prove, prove stuff with math, right? Yeah. And then there's also there's also a couple other fields of um, AI UX, which is the meetup that I started in San Francisco, and it's uh, it's going to be starting in New York City pretty soon. And we can we can talk about all how all UX developers have a lot of opportunity in AI, and actually I think have you have more job security than backend developers. And then we can also talk about agents, which are which are sort of language models that are run in an infinite loop. And we can also talk about medicine semantic search, robotics, it starts to get more and more and more speculative the, the further out you go. But the, the core modalities you should be on top of, which is images, text, audio, be familiar with all the main tools and startups and companies in those in those fields. If you want to build with them, try to figure out like the main tool chains and, and tools. I, you know, I have a list that I can send along, but it's also always changing every single day. So <laughs> it's really hard to uh, record on a podcast. But okay, I'll come back to code. So yesterday, 
I released my interview with Replit, which released and trained their own code model. And uh, it was my top performing post of all time. It was on Hacker News for an entire day. I, like I woke up this morning, it was still there. <laughs> uh, That's on the pretty front cool. page. Yeah, it was crazy. It's, and it's it's very hard to get a podcast to rank on Hacker News because people, like, they don't want to listen. Right? They just want to, like, read and then they start mouthing off about uh, some opinion they, ha- they have or another. <laughs> just read a title but, and go comment directly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's an interesting correspondence between code and language because the way that the you train a them is, is very similar. And I think that's my, my internal discovery from, from doing this interview and doing this uh, podcast with uh, all the AI founders and builders in this space. So code, why is what? So there's an interesting phenomenon where like the typical corpus of, 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 of language models is that you take text from the web. So like Reddit posts, website scraping, restaurant reviews and all that. So it's not intuitive that adding code to that mix would actually improve its ability to to reason and to generate plausible sounding text. And I realized, like after talking to to the Replit guy, I realized why this is. Code is just very highly structured natural language anyway, and like comments, the way that we write comments and then prepare them with our code actually is very good training data for the for the model to learn oh, yeah. what what oh, that makes sense mean. <laughs> yeah yeah so i was like after after i saw that i was like oh like code is actually the uh, the way that we communicate extremely clearly because it, it it communicates precisely what we want if we're not vague enough we get punished for it if we're too vague we get punished for it and i, I just think it's such a, such a fundamental insight so uh, what what replit did was very interesting they only trained their model on scraped code from GitHub and Stack Overflow and then from Replit's own data. And they were able to beat the other models on common sense reasoning tasks. These are, com- uh, when I say common sense reasoning tasks, they are established benchmarks that explain what common sense would be in, in for a human to, to interpret things, right? Like the when we interact with things physically. So my, my, my example of this would be, for example, there will be a multiple choice question and it will be something like the tree's shadow grew longer in the grass, right? And then, and then the question would be, why did, why, why did the tree, why did the shadow grow? And the answer would be the sun rose or the sun, the sun, the sun was setting. And nowhere in the prompt or the question mentioned the sun, but you had to infer and the model had to infer from the, the context of the shadow growing longer and the tree being, uh, being, being vertically present that there, there, was, there was movement in the sun and, and to conclude that. And so that is the kind of common sense reasoning benchmark that this code model, trained purely on code, was able to, to do well at. That's very interesting because like I'm I'm sure not many people have written code that is even like remotely well, I guess maybe like so, code um, for included for in the code is also thing. a lot of markdown, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so and, documentation and is, on code yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So what is interesting, you know, just to broaden out a little bit, because I think code models and copilot is, is super interesting as well. But just to broaden out a little bit, what we're doing with pre-training is essentially building foundation models that other people can build off of. Meaning that what's beautiful about this this new form of open source, which is not just open source code, but open source data and weights, is that people are teams of people at Facebook and Google and OpenAI are spending millions and millions of dollars. Uh, GPT-3 costs something like 50 to $100 million to train. And essentially, you can buy them for something like $2 per 1,000 tokens. Or they open source it and it's free. right? And so then you can take it and fine-tune it and, and do the last mile thing for your use case. But someone else has already done the hard work of training the, the big core thing that costs millions of dollars. And I think there's an interesting correspondence between this and the way that we build frameworks, right? There's a there's always a core team that takes on the hard job of maintaining and building the core thing. And then us as developers take that thing and then build the, the last mile for our applications. The actual applications. Yeah. yeah. Before we continue with the episode, here's a word from our sponsor, Vercel. Vercel is the platform for front-end developers, providing the speed and reliability innovators need to create at the moment of inspiration. Founded by the creators of Next.js, Vercel has zero configuration support for 35-plus front-end frameworks, including SvelteKit. We enable the world's largest brands like Under Armour, eBay, and Nintendo to iterate faster and create quality software. 
Try out Vercel today to experience the easiest way to use Svelte. So if we go from one of these models that is like, I guess, more general, and then say, say we wanted to build like a Svelte uh, documentation bot, like how would, we, how would we go about doing that with, for example, like GPT-4? Yeah, you don't need GPT-4 for that. You, need, you just need GPT-3 or 3.5. So the, the best way that we know how to do it right now is that you embed all your documents. So there's a, there's a, a process called embedding, which is essentially translating all the, all the text into code, uh, into, into numbers uh, that represent both the, the tokens and the words that are, that are being presented and the positions of those words so that you, you, you sort of store the, 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 the meaning of your sentences. So you embed all those things. Embedding is extremely cheap. So everyone just uh, embeds uh, willy-nilly. Store them in a vector database, whether uh, I've been working out of the, I'm currently in the offices of Chroma, which I'm an investor in. Uh, or you can use Pinecone, which is a popular one that just raised at a $700 million valuation, which people think is extremely overhyped, but whatever. Or you can store it inside of a regular database like a Postgres, which also has extensions for uh, vector storage. And essentially what you do with every query then is you, you type in a query for what you're looking for. You embed that query to translate into a, a series of numbers again. You punch that, you put the number into the vector database and look for the top five most similar strings of numbers that are also in that neighborhood. It's kind of like a zip code, right? Like you're, you're, you're translating a series of address into a zip code and you just look for the nearest neighbors of that of the, of the, gotcha. of the query. Then you take those, those queries that you, the results, the, those top five results, put those as context into your prompt and then ask your question again. And that will generate the answer that you're looking for uh, as, as the process. So that, that is the rough process of retrieval augmented generation. Uh, it looks like Anthony has to go. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there, there, are, there, are, there are steps to that and there's tools that you can use like Langchain, but you don't have to use them. I've just described everything that you need to know to do that. Uh, you can do that in raw JavaScript, raw Python, and it's, it's pretty, completely fine. Yeah. So it doesn't sound too hard to to do something like that. Yeah, because I saw I saw Astro had some kind of Houston thing AI, where they yeah. did. Mm. Oh, it's it's called Houston I AI. Yeah, I just met Ben Holmes, uh, who actually did that project uh, or was involved in the project somehow. That's the that's the white whiteboard guy, right? That's whiteboard. Yes, the, the whiteboard guy. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> he brought a mini whiteboard to to San Francisco for uh, the conference <laughs> that we were at. It was just so cute. So he started yeah. posing with his whiteboard. Yeah. So. There's tricks to that. I just described described the basic tier. If you want to get like really good, you should look into hypothetical document embeddings, hide for short. And uh, what what that does is it improves the embeddings and the, the the quality of the answers. And so there's a lot of research out there that improves things, but usually it's just a bag of tricks that you just apply and you just kind of learn these tricks over time. That is not that interest. That is not that hard or interesting to be honest. So now things have definitely moved on towards agents and like you know more interesting applications. I think sort of better document search or generated search, generated answers for your, from your documents is kind of passe now. But still, I think it's a very good starting point for most people to, to actually start playing around with these applications. The one thing that you have to worry about is uh, context length, right? So the default GPT-3 context is 4,000 tokens. A token is essentially a set sequence of words. So for example, in the word like Britney, Britney might be two tokens, Brit and Ni. Right, but you just got to uh, serialize them into specific numbers. So, like maybe it's represented by five and four hundred and three, right? Like, and those things always represent Brit and Ni. So, and by the way, there's a you can actually see this for yourself. I think if you go to platform.openai.com uh, and then you look for uh, tokenizer, you can actually just punch in words and see those see those numbers for yourself. And there's also a, uh, and so there's a vocabulary of, of about fifty thousand tokens. And there's also very fun tricks that have arisen based out of the, the corpus of data that this tokenizer was trained on, which is that if you punch in space, the leading space is very important, and solid gold magic carp, that is one token, not 10, not, not, five, not five or 10. Yeah, and that, that's oh. just because that, that came up a lot in the, in the training data because of uh, Twitch plays Pokemon. This is very, very, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very super random. It's wild. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of very interesting uh, you know niche discoveries that that actually break the illusion that you're talking to a, a real AI. Uh, you're, this is a this is a simulation of the thing, not the thing. But we get better and better over time. Okay, what was I going to say? Like yeah, I, I think I, I think like there's a lot of interesting discoveries that make sense. But like I mean, I I think I think it's just uh, very 
fascinating on, on one hand. You know, I, I think like I'm more excited by by tech than I have been in a, in a while, and uh, it just, it just feels good to be in the middle of it. Yeah, and all this is yeah. public. You know, everyone's like freely discussing it, trying to figure out what they can do with it, and they are doing useful things with it. Like I, I would say that there's uh, there's actually real use cases. So, so speaking of use cases, or like as a as a Svelte developer or web developer in general, uh, back end, front end, anything really, what kind of tools are there out there there right now that you can use? Are there any? Like I, I like obviously like ChatGPT, you can ask it questions, but are there yeah. more? fine-tuned ones for for web development for web development specifically i mean i think it's i think it's going to be copilot or replit or codium which is another uh, copilot alternative that is uh, free and faster and uh just has different training data i think there's a, there's also this set of tools that essentially are code review bots or ai commit like github uh, git commit description writers they're, they're super interesting there's a project called Wolverine that actually starts to write code and that is self-healing <laughs> because of the Wolverine mutant capability. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, the, but these are all relatively newer. Like, we're not actually sure like, which one of them is, is actually going to do a, a great job. I think AI commits is a really fun one. Like, basically, you want to basically hand over small problems that are a lot of boilerplates. And I think, personally, I'm quite interested in test generation because uh, people, as we well know, don't write enough tests. <laughs> yep. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, so as long as we, like, can generate, a, like, a suite of tests, right? Like, because, like, why is it that we write some code and then we write one test and then, and then we're, like, fine, we'll ship it. And then we discover a bug and then we're, like, all right, fine, we'll fix the bug and then we'll write the test with that bug and then we'll ship it. And so we accumulate tests linearly. But actually, we should just add thousands and thousands of tests because if it costs nothing to generate the tests, then why don't we? Just fuzz everything, right? Like just uh, just have a bot run through all the possible scenarios, all the re- usual testing strategies that are just copied and pasted, by, you know, from a previous project. We all do this, right? Like let's let's not kid ourselves, right? Like this is all like not mm-hmm. the most fun yep. part of our jobs, but it, but it actually does help. So yeah, let's let's do, let's employ AI to do that. And there's a there's a company called Codium, with without the e. This is really stupid. Oh. I know that. The, I know there's, co- there's Codium with the E, and that's the Copilot alternative. And there's Codium without the E. That is a uh, test generation uh, company that is based out of Israel that raised an eleven million dollar seed round, which is a absurdly high amount. That's, for, uh, that's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, so I, there's all these companies. There's others. There's other people working on this problem, which I think is uh, super interesting. But at some point. That will reverse. I actually do think that will reverse. At some point, when we're confident enough in code generation, we will write the test, and the code will, write, and the AI will write the code, because we only really care about the test passing, as yeah. as people who make products. So we right. we actually need to make the make the you know whenever I want to make a change to my code, instead of changing the code itself, I will just change the test and just let the AI figure it out. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the, the so final tier faster. is, uh, yeah, and the final tier is instead of writing the tests or the code, I'll just write the Jira ticket. Yeah, yeah. Which when I that would be kind of a spec, right? But more in natural language, I guess. Okay, so so basically, for now, generate tests, handle PRs, like review code stuff, stuff yeah. like that. That's that's probably what it's good for right now. Yeah, I think everyone should also. So this is not widely available to everybody yet, but I think if you try to contact someone at OpenAI, they'll give you access, or just wait a few months. You should also be on top of ChatGPT plugins. I think that is a big avenue of potential. That is essentially the new app store. If you if if you remember, the iPhone when the iPhone came out and they started they they launched their app store, there was a big rush. For, for developers to try to take advantage of this platform. ChatGPT itself is is still insanely primitive, as powerful and as, as, as and wall-changing as it has been. It's still very primitive. The way that it uses plugins is still very primitive. But the way that you code plugins with a mix of English and code in an open AI, open API spec, I think is, is a new programming paradigm that I really struggled to get around in my first day of coding with it. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like this is this is how all plugin systems should be. So, do you have an example here of like what a plugin could do? Yeah, you can you can just look at the 
the ChatGPT plugin's uh, blog post and video, and they, and they demonstrated. So, if, for example, if you enable the Wolfram plugin, it would give ChatGPT the ability to call out to Wolfram and, and do math or like look up scientific data and not hallucinate them because it's just kind of reporting from an API. Or right. you can search hotels or flights and book them through chat and do all of them in the same session. And I think the most interesting effects will, will happen when plugins can talk to other plugins through a central chat interface. Because there's, there, there's, because I, I, I saw some videos on something called Auto GPT. Yes, I don't understand quite how it works because it, it's kind of like GPT talking to itself. Is, is, a little is bit, that a, yeah. Uh, it's it's doing it's doing its own uh, reasoning. So Auto GPT is a different class of application called Agents okay. that is not chat, okay. but it's it's uh, it looks like chat. I, I, I can see, yeah. I can see why you're thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, because so, it also so has I was the thinking, ability. To do tools, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so sorry, I was thinking like so. Auto GPT, so an agent, I guess, could then talk to GPT, I guess, that would have some plugins enabled and do stuff there or something. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah, exactly. So the components of an agent. Um, I actually had a blog post about this that that did pretty well. Uh, it's called the Anatomy of Autonomy, which uh, I I really liked. I was very proud of myself for coming out with that name. By the way, I live streamed <laughs> the entire writing on that blog post. So if you like, want to see me write for six hours, uh, you can see you can see my YouTube. Oh yeah, I, th- I think I saw that on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> like not the whole thing. I just saw you streaming. I know no, nobody <laughs> sticks around for the whole thing, but sometimes people drop by and I'll like chat with them for a bit. Uh, also using Streamyard, by the way. So the atta- the anatomy of autonomy starts with like the base layer being language models, second layer being memory, third layer being web browsing for for uh, memory that it doesn't have yet, right? And then fourth layer being tools, connecting it up to Twitter, to GitHub, to your file system, whatever, right? And and obviously, the web browsing is already a kind of tool, except that web browsing is read-only, and then tools are read and write. And then finally, the, the, the fifth layer, which is the most important and unknown layer, is planning and prioritization, which is that, hey, I give you an, an objective, go figure out how to do it by yourself, right? And, and that is uh, actually a, a, an area that we know GPT-4 and, and all its predecessors are still bad at because it doesn't plan. It, it just predicts uh, the next token. And so that's fascinating because uh, we have now found an area that we want to improve. And therefore, a lot of the research going forward is actually going to focus on planning and prioritization because we know that this is the next component in terms of building an autonomous agent. And I think that is um, useful to try out because even even as, even as even though we know it does badly today, if we try out Baby AGI or AutoGPT, you can see how it might work if it was a lot better. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people are giving credit for these days, which is dreaming rather than being practical, which means that we are definitely in the mania phase of AI where completely trivial projects that were done in a day like get hundreds of thousands of GitHub stars. Yeah, this uh, AutoGPT, uh, so for those who don't know, if you go to AutoGPT's repo, um, they have more stars than PyTorch, which is the, the, language, <laughs> the machine learning framework that it's based on. It will probably overtake React at some point pretty soon. And it's absurd. Like uh, for the amount of value that it actually does, it, it is absurd. So uh, so people definitely want to dream and they, they're, uh, they're very interested in the AI future and more power to them. But for the rest of us, either you want to you know get on the hype train and like, sell dreams to people, or you figure out practical usage in, in your day jobs, and 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 apply that. And I, I make no value judgments as to which uh, which of those activities is uh, is more valuable to spend time in because definitely the people who help people dream are getting a lot of VC funding right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess it's a more of a like a couple of years down the road kind of value yeah rather than yeah right now yeah cool so that was a a very good nice primer on what the heck is happening in ai i don't know if Brittany, Brittany, you, you, you muted that i don't know if you had follow-up. yeah i was i was gonna ask if you had a take at all on jeffrey hinton's and yeah. leaving and saying about the dangers of ai and, and that kind of stuff who's yeah. jeffrey hinton one of the co-founders of uh, uh, Deep Learning. Godfather of okay. AI, they call him. Okay. I think, so the famous moment that everyone was kind of deep learning pilled, as opposed to traditional machine learning, where you have a lot of 
understanding of the variables. In deep learning, you have so many hidden layers. GPT-3 has 96, 96 layers that you have no idea what, what they represent. They just kind of re- represent abstract concepts that are in, in the latent space, as they call it. So Jeff Hinton was Alex, uh, Alex's advisor for AlexNet in 2012 when they when they solved ImageNet as a as a competition, and that's that started the the ten year cycle that has now led to deep learning for everything. So and and by the way, so Jeff Hinton, uh, Joshua Bengio, and Jan LeCun were the the three Turing Award winners of 2018 that they got they all got awards for deep learning, and so two out of the three of the of those Turing Award winners are now warning against the dangers of AI. And Jan LeCun is is always the odd guy out because he likes to be extremely contrarian in every single every single thing. So AI safety debates, first of all, I think developers don't have a monopoly on them. And I actually try to spend less time on that because this is this this is discussed a lot in the political domain by a non-technical podcast. And so I, I don't think like it's super like we don't have particular insights on Safety. Even though we work on technology, we don't have particular insights on the social societal impact on technology. Uh, so I think we should be circumspect there. I will say that, yes, I am worried. The evidence of history points towards every time a native population encounters, encounters a, a more advanced civilization, the native population gets wiped out. It's extremely brutal. And, and it's not even like, sometimes it's, intentional from the from the invade invading population but sometimes it's unintentional we just we just show up and we're just like yeah. oops like we like oops uh, we, you know, oh, <laughs> we like brought, cut brought off all you, your food brought you like, this disease brought you diseases yes exactly and what we are encountering if you if you take this to this logical conclusion is we are actually giving birth to a new life form which is artificial intelligence and you need to think about this in terms of like the span of hundreds of years not not our lives not our lifespans and so we have to be extremely careful because one instance of this intelligence knows a lot more than any of us will ever learn in our lifetimes, can think much faster than us, is capable of increasingly more things over time. And if we aren't careful, like life is extremely fragile and there's a very small range of conditions under which we exist. If we break any one of those conditions by accident, we may not be able to reverse it. And with that, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Ending on a on a on a uh, happy fun super note. Super happy note. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's it's worth discussing and, and putting putting our awareness. That, that, yeah. uh, so this is fundamentally okay. I'll I'll end it this way. This is fun, like AI safety is fundamentally at odds with individual freedom, capitalism, and democracy, mm. because there is no such thing as unilateral safety. We all have to agree. Because if it just it takes one person to disagree, to pursue money yeah. in, in, in to yeah. disregard safety in pursuit of money, for the prisoner's dilemma to break, and then everyone pursues money, uh, and that's essentially what OpenAI has done. Anthropic has now gone also gone from nonprofit to for profit. Illicit has also gone from nonprofit to for profit as well, and it is uh, it is pretty alarming because uh, this this train doesn't stop until you nationalize Google and and there's Microsoft. no standards and there's no groups that like federate it right there's no standards and no groups uh no no uh, not right now yeah like, so yeah. so at some point at some point there will be some kind of commission that that regulates these things but they may be too late and, yeah. and like the, the, so, the, the the secret is out such that china will do it before the u.s yeah i was i was gonna <laughs> i was gonna say like if 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 a country ba- like bans ai or i don't know that's probably it would extreme, just move to the like, move to a different place yeah, exactly yeah. It's kind of like cryptocurrency in a sense. It just like moves <laughs> to where it's still yes. legal, and whoever I can make money, from it, like make money from it. AI, crypto, handshake, and then tokens. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> AI, Honestly, crypto, I mean, handshake, uh, GPUs. You're, you're, like, you're, yeah. I mean, if if you think about it, like <laughs> cryptocurrency is the payment system for AI, right? Because no, no one can I, control I it. Agree with that. <laughs> really? Yeah. I I would I would think they would start making transactions. At some sure. point, with each other to buy services, but yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Uh, anyway, so so yeah, we have got to the uh, do we end democracy and capitalism part of the conversation, uh, which I think is a is a good stopping point. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So, I guess we we still have two two sections that we always do. So first one on popular opinions. I don't have one again this week, and Anthony is not here, so he doesn't have one. Uh, what about you guys? Do you, do you have one? I I don't. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I don't, I, I just, I just dropped this, this whole, uh, you know, yeah. I, okay. the only way to yeah. end, is, uh, end democracy and capitalism. And it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's my unpopular opinion. That was kind of our hot take for the episode. <laughs> for, for those uh, um, for those who want more of my writing on this, uh, look up AI Moloch M O L O C H, which is uh, that is the description of the race that we're in, a system that we're in that nobody particularly designed, but we're all trapped in, and there's there's kind of no way out unless we all collectively decide to not stop playing. Yep, that's hard. Okay, I guess I guess we get to pick something nice then for for our picks. <laughs> yes. Do you have any picks, Brittany? <laughs> I almost wrote in there Night Agent. We watched it a few weeks ago, but um, the last week I picked The Diplomat, and I didn't want to pick another TV show, but I don't know. Oh, I really want to see that. I'm a huge fan of Carrie Russell. It, it was really good. I picked that okay. last week, and like it was from the writers of Homeland, and I really enjoyed the, the series. Night Agent was also of a similar kind of style, like government agent does stuff, and it, it was cool. I, I liked that, too. So what's your what's your pick then, or is that or is that your pick? But you that's, didn't want to. That's pick my a TV pick. Show. I didn't have another oh, okay. pick. I just didn't oh, want to pick another TV I see, show, I and I didn't gotcha. have another one. So. By, by the way, gotcha. like I think you know, the parents in the audience would always appreciate like a parenting pick in, in case you have any. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. My calendar, like putting everything on my calendar, is the only. You pick your calendar. Other people can't pick your calendar. Well, no, but like putting <laughs> everything on your calendar, like just whatever calendar app you use or whatever thing you use, just anything, okay. like picking up kids, like their their classes, taking the garbage out, like everything goes on. Oh, my everything, calendar. Oh, literally wow. everything, so that I know, uh, like when I have to, because I can't keep it in my brain. Yeah, I, yeah. I need space for other stuff. Wouldn't so you like an AI I, assistant that did that, did that for you? Right? Yes, yeah. I, I need that. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw, I, I think I think it was called Lindy AI. It was like yes, a, uh, Flo Corvello. Actually, I need to interview him for my podcast. He's a good friend. Yeah. So uh, Lindy AI is like, actually, I'll, I'll pick that. It's Have like you, a, yeah. I haven't used it. I don't know if it's yeah. out. But it well, it looks cool. Yeah, check the demo. <laughs> There's a very good series series of videos, very short videos where he introduces it. I think it's very well produced. Oh, I I don't think I've seen those, uh, unless it's those on the website. Yeah, I'll pick Lindy AI. Did, it's like a personal AI assistant. Did we talk about Opus Pro? Uh, no. Pick, pick that too. Yeah, that's true. I'll pick that. I'll pick that. I'll pick both. Opus okay. Pro is another, I think, AI that does. You, you link it YouTube videos and it automatically generates YouTube shorts for you out of that longer video. And I actually used it and I've posted two clips to the to the Svelte Society YouTube channel. I don't think anyone has noticed, so I assume it's doing a good job. I looked them over and it looked fine. So yeah, that's that's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm actually quite impressed with the short stuff that you've been doing on the YouTube. So, uh, big kudos for that. I actually need to learn how to do this. I can show you. It's so, actually very, very, very easy. Like very, yeah. oh. doesn't take a long time. Any tool that you will shout out? Just, just uh, uh, for listeners. Cap, the, uh, the one I've, I've been Capwing. using is called Capwing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I need. I need to try that. Okay. So quickly, mine. Uh, one. So if you are loading in ChatGPT by by navigating to it to it on a on a tab in your browser, you are doing it wrong. You should have a menu bar app. And so my menu bar app is uh, ChatGPT Mac. It's an open source app. I have uh, I have it on my GitHub. And literally, I do Command Shift G, and it opens up in a very tiny window. I type in my question, and it generates there, and I dismiss it right away. And it just sh- like zero latency. Oh, it just shows up. Oh, that's great. I you know, need I, this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it called? Sorry. ChatGPT Mac. I don't know. It's on my GitHub. I'll I'll drop it into okay. uh, the, okay. the links. Awesome. And I mean, but you can write your own. It's it's not very it's not very hard. Like literally, this is a. Uh, uh, embedded browser window that is a Mac app, right? That is a, a Tori uh, app because uh, electronics is extremely heavy. Which means you can also customize it with Svelte if you want, but uh, that, that's, that's not strictly necessary. <laughs> and then the, the other the other one I'll, I'll shout out just because you know we're doing two picks per, per person today <laughs> is um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you're not alone, right? I, I do think that there is there's too much, especially if like this is not your day job. You're just kind of like you just kind of want to dip your toe. So first of all, uh, my newsletter is uh, I try to do that for people, but the the one that I use is Andrew Yang's newsletter from The Batch. It's called The Batch. It's it's from DeepLearning.ai, which is his uh, company. All right, I think that's that's it for us. Uh, it was a very high signal podcast this week. I liked it a lot. I'm definitely gonna 
explore AI a bit more after after Svelte Summit. Well, Svelte Summit's already been when this goes <laughs> out, but <laughs> talking in future terms here. Yeah, yes. unless we release this now on YouTube. Up to you. Who knows? Yeah, for the All subscribers. Right. For the <laughs> like subscribers. <and> oh. <laughs> Yes. All right. I, I recently paid for my first uh, YouTube channel. Anyway, but yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Sean, I guess uh, the latent dot space is the yeah. is the place they go for for the your podcast. Yeah. And yeah, I'll see you all next week. Bye bye. See you next week. Hey, it's Kevin. If you like the show, please drop a review on your favorite podcast player. It would help out a lot. Thanks.